If you will turn with me to Judges, the book of Judges, we'll be looking at chapter 2 this evening. Book of Judges, chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 6 through 13 this evening. We'll be continuing our series in the household of God. In a lot of ways, this will be somewhat of a follow-up to the Deuteronomy 6 sermon that I gave a couple weeks back. And so if you will stand with me for the reading of God's word, again, the book of Judges, chapter 2, starting in verse 6. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath-Herez, in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them, who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather here this evening to worship you. Lord, we know that your word is profitable and true, and we pray that it would be of profit this evening, that you would give the preacher wisdom and the words to speak, and we ask that you would bless our time together, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, it was just last year, in June of 2021, that much of the nation was gripped by a story, a tragedy that occurred in Florida that I know many of you likely still remember. When there was a condominium complex, the Surfside condominium complex that collapsed in the middle of the night. It was a 12-story beachfront high-rise, and 98 people tragically died that night as it collapsed. It ended up being the third highest loss of life due to structural engineering failure in U.S. history. And the, the building had only been built in 1982. They, they've now contributed factors to the collapse to things like degradation of the concrete foundation, water penetration, and also corruption as the building was originally built. Now, immediately in the wake of the collapse, of course, in our day and age, pictures began to come out, pictures from residents of things that they had already noted and had concern and have brought to their HOA. And it doesn't take an engineer to look at those pictures and be deeply concerned for what was going to happen with that building. Now, there was many warning signs, many warning signs before it fell that evening. And it took almost 40 years from the time when that building was built to when it collapsed But ultimately, the cracks in the foundation, they had long been set in place before that evening. Disaster doesn't always happen overnight. It often takes time. And before it strikes, there's often many warning signs along the way. 
Israel will enter the promised land, and at first all seems well. They're winning their battles. They're, they're casting out the wicked people of the land. But then another generation comes along. And in the span of just one generation, it all falls apart. But like the Surfside condominiums, the cracks had already been formed. The warning signs were already there. And so as we turn to verse 6 as we start this evening, it's written that when Joshua dismissed the people, the children of Israel, they went each their own inheritance to possess the land. So they began to divide up the land amongst the tribes of Israel. They began to take possession of their allotments. And so during this time, they served the Lord, as is written in verse 7. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. And so during his time and the time of his contemporary elders, they were serving the Lord. But there's a transition that takes place here between these two generations. It's what's going to explain what is going to occur here in verse 10. Everything seemed to have gone well. They served the Lord during Joshua's time. They served the Lord during the elders' time. And as is noted here, this is the, the generation who had seen great things of God. They had witnessed amazing things. L let's take a look at some of the things that they had seen in their life. Let's turn back to the book of Joshua, just one book over, starting in chapter 1, where we're introduced to the transition that takes place between Joshua and Moses. This is that generation that saw Israel come into the promised land. Chapter 1, verse 5, we're told that no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Speaking to Joshua, I will not leave you nor forsake you. So we see as, as things transition from Moses to Joshua, we see God blessing Joshua that he would be present with him just like he was with Moses. And then you turn to chapter 3, verse 17. Chapter 3, verse 17, and we see an amazing event occur in Joshua's time. Chapter 3, verse 17, it's written that, Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. You can't miss what's happening there. This is the next generation before the generation of judges were about to be introduced to. But this is the next generation after Moses. And here they are about to go into the promised land and they cross over on dry ground. They would have heard the stories from their parents crossing over the Red Sea with Egypt on their heels, with Pharaoh's army about to overtake the people of God. What do they do? They cross over on dry ground. The same words are used here in this text in Joshua that are in Exodus, that amazing narrative. Imagine if you're that generation as you're crossing over on dry ground. You can think back to what God has already done for his people in the amazing events of Exodus. And remember that this is our God. He is with us. We are crossing over on dry ground. And so this is that generation that is going into the promised land. And if you think I'm making too much of this, 
Their enemies did not. Their enemies did not. If you turn to chapter 5, verse 1. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over that their hearts melted. And there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. They understood. History is repeating itself. They're saying to themselves, here we go again. We saw what happened in Egypt, and now that same God who caused them to cross over that dry ground, he is with us and we are in trouble. And they recognize that. Rahab understands this. Turn back to chapter 2, verse 10. What does Rahab say? She says, For we have heard how the, the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Shihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And so as Rahab is expressing her faith in the one true and living God, they recognize what God has done. And so God is with this generation. And then we see the miraculous conquest of Jericho, as all they do is walk around the city blowing ram's horns, and it topples down. And then in chapter 10, the sun stands still. The sun stands still for this generation. And so as we go back to the book of Judges, it's no small thing that that generation had seen the works of God. It is no small thing. They saw tremendous, amazing works as they came into the promised land. And so the land has been divided. The allotments have been given. Fulfillment is occurring in the promised land. And in Joshua 21, verse 45, it's written that not a word failed of any of the good things which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All had come to pass. So Judges comes on the heels of these profound events that God had done to bring them into this land. But cracks had formed. Cracks had formed. In, in Joshua, we see the defeated eye where Achan had taken the accursed things. In Joshua 7, 11, this is described as, as the word is written, Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have, they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. God was not pleased with them. Or in chapter 9, when they make a covenant, when they were told not to make a covenant with the people of the land, they made a covenant with the Gibeonites. And it's written in chapter 9, verse 14, that they did not seek the counsel of the Lord. They did not seek the counsel of the Lord. And so the cracks had already formed, and as Joshua dies, we start to see what occurs. And so Joshua dies in verses 8 through 9. We're told of this event. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at timnath Herez in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaash. Now we don't want to pass over this too quickly either because Joshua's death is an important thing that we need to remember is that Death has been playing out since the garden. That since the garden, they've been living in the shadow of death. We're awaiting the seed to come. We're awaiting that promised one 
that child of Adam and Eve that would crush Satan's head, that would rescue us and deliver us from the curse. And so God continued to raise up leaders in Israel. We saw Moses raised up. We see figures like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But now we have Joshua. And so we shouldn't read over his death too quickly. Joshua seems promising. His name literally means salvation or Yahweh saves. And in Joshua, we see the promises of God begin to unfold. God's people, God's nation, and God's land under God's rule. We're seeing the promises of God unfold in Joshua's ministry, but ultimately he dies. He dies. It reminds us of those genealogies in Genesis that continue to remind us that death is present as they continue to repeat, and he died, and he died. And so as they look for that seed to come, death is that reminder that we don't have him in this person. We're still awaiting the seed that is to come, the greater Joshua. We're told through the account of the angel visiting Joseph that Jesus' name is to be Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the New Testament equivalent for the name Joshua. His name means salvation. And so this great leader, Joshua, through whom the promises of God are unfolding, he dies, and now another generation comes. Another generation grows up, and things quickly fall apart. In verse 10, we're introduced to this this stark reality between the generations, as is written, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, again, Joshua's generation, another generation rose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the works which he had done for Israel. Verse 10 is, is like a punch in the gut. If you've been reading through Joshua, you see these amazing events occur. Yeah, certainly those cracks were there, as I said. But these amazing events have occurred. We get to the book of Judges. They're still continuing to cast out the wicked people in the land. But then all of a sudden we start seeing words like however and but. And we see words that indicate that they are failing to do what God has called them to do in driving out these people. And then we see Joshua's death. And now we're told what's about to occur in verse 10. That another generation will rise up. And so it's like a punch in the gut as we've seen God's God's salvific works unfolding. And the readers left asking, what happened? What happened? It seemed like momentum was building. It seemed like things were going well. But we have to pause here at verse 10. Now, Moses had warned them. Moses had warned them, when you go into that land, you're going to get comfortable. You're going to get comfortable. He told them, you're, you're to teach the generations. You're to teach the next generations coming after. You're to teach the children. You're to disciple. You're to teach. Don't get comfortable in the land. Don't forget the one who has brought you out of Egypt, Moses warned them. Don't forsake him. Now, I think it's... It's easy for some to say, well, yes, but, you know, this generation didn't get to see all those amazing things that were referenced in verse 7. This generation, they didn't get to see the miracles. They didn't get to do all those amazing things that Joshua's generation got to see. They were, in many ways, those firsthand witnesses. 
in contrast to this generation. To that I would say they, they were already told you are to diligently teach your children. God didn't tell them through Moses they're going to need to see these miracles. They're going to, they're going to need to be there to believe. No, he told them you're to teach them. You're to teach them diligently. You're to teach them about what happened in Egypt. You're to teach them about how God dried up the waters. And so it was always linked to teaching, that they would receive the things of God through teaching. And also at no point in salvation history does anyone in humanity have an excuse. None of us at any point in history can say, well, we just haven't, we didn't see enough miracles. We didn't get to, get to actually touch Jesus' wounds. We, we don't get to, to say those things because we've always had what is sufficient for life and godliness at every turn of salvation history. And I think Luke 16 really shows us a, a good picture of this. In Luke 16, Jesus gives a parable of Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man lived a good life. Lazarus, not so much. The dogs licked his wounds, his sores. They both end up dying. The rich man goes to hell. Lazarus is in heaven at Abraham's side, at Abraham's bosom. And the rich man asks for something to, to, to help his dry, hot tongue. Because hell is not so pleasant now for him. And so just like Lazarus would have served him in life, he wants him to serve him again in hell. And Abraham says it doesn't work that way. There's a chasm that we don't cross. And so then the rich man says, well, how about you go tell my brothers? Warn them. Warn them. And this is what Abraham says. He says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And the rich man says, no, Father Abraham, but if, if one goes to them from the dead... They will repent. They will repent. What does Abraham says? He says to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. If they don't listen to God's word through Moses and the prophets, they won't listen to a miracle. This generation didn't need miracles. They needed to be taught the things of God. Those were sufficient for them to come to saving faith. And so I say this because disbelief cannot be attributed to lack of being a first-hand witness or lack of not having something that one thinks they need, like a miracle. And that puts the burden on us that, one, we must make Christ known. We must make the things of God known, that we must preach the gospel. We must preach God's truth. Because the source of knowing will be teaching. That as, as we teach the things of God, that is how they will come to faith. That is how they will come to saving faith, is us teaching the things of God. And so their means of knowing was Deuteronomy 6. They were to teach them diligently in everything they did, as we saw in Deuteronomy 6, whether they got up, whether they sat down, whether they went out, whatever they did as they left, as they came home, they were to be about the things of God all the day in and all the day out. 
And so as we come to verse 10, it's like an entire generation is missing out here. An entire generation comes along without the knowledge of God. And what happens because of this? Well, we get the book of Judges. They go into the land. They forget their identity. They do what is right in their own eyes. And by the end of the book of Judges, they look just like the wicked nations around them. They look just like Sodom and Gomorrah, as we'll see in a later sermon. And so I want to point out two of the means that we have for equipping that next generation. The first is discipleship, as we talked about this morning. When I read the Gospels, I find it really interesting how at different points in Jesus' ministry, he actually withdraws from the crowds. He actually withdraws. It seems like everything's going, all these people are beginning to flock to him, and he, he just withdraws. It's very counter to how we, we think of things. It's very counter to our culture and, and, and how we think of success and faithfulness. Crowds don't always equal success. Crowds don't always equal faithfulness. So instead of the crowds, what did Jesus do? He invested primarily in 12. One would prove to be a traitor, but he would invest 